0: enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk, and so little action. Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy Obear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now.
1: Welcome back to Transformation Change Radio with my delightful dear friend and co-host, Dr. Becky Martinez. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear. We're excited you joined us. Today, we're going to mix it up just a little bit because we've been looking at issues of class and classrooms with guests for what, six or seven months now. Mm -hmm. And what we decided kind of this halfway point through the year is just take a pause and talk about for folks that have been listening, what could you do for workshops and trainings if you feel ready or you want to start doing things in your organization? And then towards the end, we may personally share what we've learned and impact from actually being with each other and guests in these first three months. So Becky, so excited to have this time with you.
2: Yeah, it's been awesome to have uh, guests and it'll be good for, I think, me and for us to talk through some. Um, some of the pieces that have struck us or like, huh, what would, what would sessions look like? Um, What does integrating um, work around social class identity, class and classism, like look and feel like, and um, um, some of the maybe more pragmatic ways um, to have it happen in our organizations and in our families and in our everyday lives. So it's not just at the workspace area um because for me and as i think about identities often um you know they are in every aspect of where we navigate the world and for me classism is always such a huge piece class and classism is such always a huge piece that i'm often thinking and feeling
1: so i love that and so as we talk about activities or reflections that people can do you can do it individually and as you said, you could be somewhere outside of an environment and just say, ah, and then ask a question that we're offering today. So take good notes, everybody. And also you can really listen to it. Um, but particularly if you're inside organizations, I'll bet you'll get lots of ideas for strategies. And so the first thing that came to me as I was thinking about this conversation, Becky, is leaders may not be willing to do this work, invest it could be internal people do it, but that's still time and resources and time away from other tasks. So what are some reasons that leaders and employees really need to, you know, the leadership case? Why is it critical to look at class and classes and class identity inside organizations?
2: Well, I mean, you know, the first part for me is that there's a sense of belonging,
0: mm-hmm.
2: that people feel valued, heard, and respected in the lens of class. Uh, and knowing that most organizations are hierarchical. Um, there is a difference in pay. There is a difference in packages. There's a difference in retirement and responsibilities. And so even taking all of those considerations or variables into like play um, of reality, how do we still have spaces In in, or actually, how does an organization still feel and the people in those organizations feel like they're a part of and that they belong and that they're heard and that their stories are valued and that um, they're just not there for a job or production, which is so counter to how we work in the world, at least in the US context, because it's about production and output. Um, And how do we as organizations have it be more about people? Um, than just here's the task or here's what you have to do. Um, it is, here's is here's the job responsibilities and what you have to do. And we we value who you are for feedback. We value who you are from your story. We value who you are and how, what your treatment is, what the language is that we use, um, that we don't um, create a, imbalance or a difference because you may not have a degree or you may be doing this particular type of job? Like, How do we have those people matter in our organizations?
1: I hear you. I just read some study last week about why people are leaving what they want in organizations. And it's so much of what you said, having meaningful work, making a difference, getting a chance to move up. And so particularly with the traditional hierarchical, I think one reason is is to find internal folk Who already know the culture, the climate, are committed to your organization, and when you're hiring and promoting, really see them as valuable assets, not just, oh, they're administrative assistants, oh, they're a team leader, but they're not going to move much farther. So how to really see true uh, value and assets in your organization. The other thought that came as you were talking was to have people look at their strategic plan and then line everything up with that, but particularly retention and motivation and serving others, which are so key that if folks don't feel like, as you said, they belong, they matter, their voice is included in decision-making, then those real business outcomes, which leaders measure, mm-hmm. you won't meet them. And so right. I know you and I are passionate because that's just a social justice thing to do, but most people listening have leaders that they have to find literally the business case, why to invest in this sort of additional type of training that they may never considered before.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things that struck me is even the concept of moving up. (laughs) right? And so how do we like reframe what that looks like for folks? Because some people, that may not be anything that they are wanting or needing, but we have this philosophy or ethos that that's the expectation for folks. Mm -hmm. And and that could very well be what folks wanna do. Um, And how do we still value those frontline jobs and workers and responsibilities as a valuable part of our organization? Um, And we can coach and we can mentor and we could provide opportunities. And if they don't want that, like if they're like, I'm cool where I'm at because it is the place where I need to be, how do we not shame them Mm -hmm. or devalue them that they're not going up in the organization? So even in this class space, like uh, paying attention to our language of what is valued um, and who is valued and does up mean more value? Oftentimes it does. And so how are we finding value professional development, um, you know opportunities to have access and input in meetings um, And they may not want the title to lead it, but they want to be able to provide, to have space to be able to have their voice heard mm-hmm. um, And that as often doesn't happen in lower. And so how do we create, voice and access to the lower if we're using that language. But that's one of the things like, huh, up low, like let's throw that on its head for a little bit.
1: I know. And so as we're trying to get leaders to think why this is important, if they look at their data, why people are leaving, why they're staying, how they feel motivated to stay would get to a lot of what you're talking about. And in this context of two and a half years of pandemic, I think many people are motivated to earn more money, whether that's a different job in the organization, or we look to share resources differently in
0: organizations.
1: (sighs) So once leaders agree, whether they're HR, whether they're management, that this work is needed, what could be some outcomes that could be reasonable? Because, you know, inside and outside organizations, they do need when they're doing, okay, we're gonna do this workshop. So what's it gonna be titled, description? So what could be some ways for people to think about presenting this in a way that leaders HR will buy knowing that it's so critical and needed?
2: Many times um, just understanding concepts. Mm-hmm. So being able to, so, I, so when I do session outcomes, right? Or intentions, cause outcomes feels so like we gotta be doing this shit for like years, right? Or even if we look in academia, outcomes are related to a semester of classes. Mm-hmm. And so was, uh, so I have shifted to what are our intentions of the session. And, and almost everyone, like, the two, like two of the ones that I always put is uh, to learn concepts around, mm-hmm. uh, related to capital um, for language purposes. Like, okay, so, yes, class is about money, and class is so much more than about money. So how do we talk about the various forms of capital and present those in ways that folks can hear them and understand them? And so relating the okay, So here's like the conceptual framework of social class identity. Um, so And that broadens it, because oftentimes when we say class, many people go to SES, so income, And for our work on this show and my work in the world, it's so much more than just money. And money is important, retirement packages are important. Like I got to pay my bills, I want a savings, I want health insurance. Um, And so like those should be baseline. And then how are these other forms of capital part of the organizational culture? Or how do these other forms of capital show up in Um, you know, in indirect ways. And so just from a concept lens uh, here, here's language, here are these different concepts. Um, Here's how they play out in everyday lives and everyday cultural lives. And so then being able to give some um, story behind those forms of capital, because so many people get to these sessions and they just think money and, And then even explaining what that money looks like, right? And so if they're just like focusing on the financial or economic capital pieces of it, let's talk about it from a systems perspective around power, privilege, oppression. um, And then class becomes a little bit confusing because whose definition are we using? So as an organization really becoming clear on So what are your definitions of class or social class identity, or what is your framework to talk about it? And as consultants or trainers, we may need to help them figure that out because they're like, I don't know, we just need to do work on it. Um, But like, let's help them become more clear on um, like the what, the why, the how, um, and have it be more than just like a one-time drop-in, two, three, one-day session? Like, how are we continuing to have a, a lens, not even a critical lens, but a a lens around how class
1: exists in the organization? I really excited if an organization is ready for that sort of, this is what we need to do. Places that I end up doing consulting with may not yet be ready. So as you were talking, I'm like, so what, what would get their attention? So I wonder about intentions like, um, how inclusive is your organization related to less apparent dynamics like class and classism? And are there some ways that actually we're not as inclusive? There's not a sense of belonging for the employees and even in our services. And so those kind of questions, mm-hmm. some people listening might those might be umbrella questions. and then how do we get there? Well, we first have to understand some of these basic concepts. The other thing came up as you were talking as an outcome is increase the capacity to have authentic, engaged discussions about dynamics of class, classism, class dynamics, um, and an outcome maybe, and to be able to recognize these unproductive ways that class plays out and interrupt them in the moment. And even be proactive when you're making decisions. So those are the kind of outcomes mm-hmm. that come to me as I was listening to you.
2: hmm And and maybe even the step before that, just as I think about doing like race and anti-racism work, sometimes it's like, how how do you engage in conversations around race?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? How do you engage in conversations around anti-racism? Um, and as we know, right, some campuses will be like, well, we read this book, we've had a book club, or we've brought in this speaker, um, or, like, you know, like we're really focused on um, developing an anti racism lens. And these are the steps that we've done. But mm-hmm. I think that that's the question for organizations in the beginning is like, how does our organization, how does class exist in our organization? How do we engage it? What have we, like, do we talk about it? Um, what are the ways in, and, and then you can look at the structure, like, what is, a, what is the structure? Right or the policies or the practices around even talking about class, which we know from our own experience as well as people who have been on the show, like we don't talk about pay, we don't (laughs) like we're not organizations aren't transparent um, or as transparent as they could be about some of the processes or some of the behind the curtains um, concepts around class. you know, do organizations offer when um, you meet with HR around a retirement plan? Like, do you even understand this without a shaming way? Like, Because uh, the expectation is when we have that conversation with HR to talk about investing, that people understand some of that. So how are we giving some pre information even before that meeting to be like, okay, so you may be new to this, you may be new to picking a healthcare plan um, rather than just being like the expectation is, okay, I'm just gonna check some boxes and sign up online. Um, like you, you may be new to this, and so let's educate you or give you as much information as possible. Like just these like little things that don't feel very little
1: for folks that don't have that background. So, where I'm going is even before a session, some pre-work and some of these questions that you're offering. How do we talk about it, if at all? How do you already intentionally have a class lens when you're working with clients, when you're making decisions? And even the minute way you went and say, if you're working in HR, how are you doing these things? And if you're a supervisor, how are you doing this? So it could be that could be some pre-work because it's instead of an article for people to read, though that would be good, too. It's almost like a checklist of really good, effective things we could be doing and just have people think about. So what are you already doing and what do you think else could be done in the organization? Could be great pre-work. The other pre-work. Each time we start, you have this wonderful list of questions, which is basically what's your class journey? Um, Where did you first understand the concept of class? And I'll let you maybe share more, but I could imagine also sharing that ahead of time and asking people to do some reflections on some of those prompts. So they come in because I'm anticipating people are going to feel nervous and anxious when they come in and we're going to have to create the container for engaged dialogue. And so having some of these questions beforehand, they may be able to come in more readily able to share in smaller groups.
2: Yes. So how, um, I appreciate the, how do we create the container before the container starts in the like physical or virtual way? And those could be those reflective questions or um, while it relates to higher education in the, um, the straddling, right? The, uh, sh- the straddling class book from Sanja and I and these brilliant authors that contributed there are some um, like I- implications at the end right things to think about and so that could even be used like there's a list that we have um, around um, how class up shows up in organizational ways um, and it's a, from an academic lens but it could be I mean you could just change out some language Um, so there are
1: some resources. I love it. Um, The other thing is if people do have that book or can make it available, people could read one or two chapters that relate to their life experience. So folks grew up poor working class, middle class, white collar, professional class, upper middle, uber rich, and there's probably others in between. So they could read some of those now. Um, The other thought as you were talking, I had, There's so much about definitions that having people read them beforehand or have access to them might have people kind of, okay, I knew some of this, I just didn't have the word for it. Almost like at the Social Justice Training Institute, we ask people to read several pages of racism definitions beforehand um, so that there's a common knowledge. Um, I mean, that actually is a class intervention of some folks that have had more workshops around class or social justice may come in with more knowledge and terms, whereas others we often don't give these work, quote, give these workshops to folks who are not, quote, in white collar professional jobs. Um, and so that's another way to kind of level the playing field beforehand.
2: And I um, I think even then that pre-work. So as you were talking it, it would be critical to have something to say um As you read this article, or as you think about these questions, there may be some feelings of shame or guilt or embarrassment that come up as a result of it. And that's one of the pieces that we can engage in these sessions. Um, Because what I would imagine, um, I so, and this is an example for me is I I was going to SJTI when I was a youngin and I was, um, I I think the book was, it's on my shelf somewhere, um, like Working Class in America. Mm. I think that that was the book. And uh, I'm reading this on the plane to go to SJTI. And I was, I was like, oh, shit like this is parts of my family story. And then I had this like rush of feelings and I'm on the plane and I'm crying, which I'm fine with. And, um, but I think to disclaim or to let them know some stuff may come up as you even just read these definitions or this article um, and know that that is an okay thing. In fact, that's what often people experience, whether it's folks that grew up wealthy or owning class and feel this, sense of guilt or, um, or even arrogance okay? um, or folks that grew up poor who feel guilty or, or who feel embarrassed or ashamed. Um, and so how do we let them know that these feelings may surface or it may bring us back to when you we were five and you didn't have electricity or you were five and you went to a country club? Um, have that be
1: part of the process. So good. I had a flash of literally you doing a couple welcome videos mm. um, that people might be able to have access to, just a welcome in general. And then here's some of the pre-work we wanted to do, and here's what could come up. I also had a vision of one, and maybe you and someone else doing, and then we want you to reflect on these class pre-questions, class, you know, what's your class story? And here's a straddling working class, now middle class, and here's someone kind of middle-class, now remote. I mean, so I just wonder, even if there's are five and 10 minutes that people can opt into if they want as they learn differently. Um, yeah. hmm I, I love that idea. One, cause it, it brings
2: the, the content to life, so to say. Um, and there's so few videos or like there's just so few resources with live people talking about class where in other in some other identities, right? Like we've been talking about race for a really long time. It doesn't mean that we've gone too far, but there are so many like Ted talks, right? There are so many ways that people can engage at least the content and some feeling spaces around race, um, maybe gender, gender identity, but there's so few around class because it's such a taboo to talk about. So how do we like destigmatize talking about class? I love that idea.
1: And so yeah. folks are listening. We just have a few minutes left. Becky, what if we highlight some of the questions? Because I'm envisioning literally the in-house facilitators could each do kind of 10 minutes of their class journey, get a couple leaders to do there so that they have four five or six different class backgrounds and we can offer a few now and maybe after come back from break, offer a few more of what are some of the prompts that either in these pre-videos as well as in the session, people could do journaling around and then affinity space to share. So what are some of the ones Mm -hmm. that you think are just wonderful?
2: Um, Well, you know, the broad base, what's your class story, Um, but you can get to more specifics. Like, So what were some markers around class when you were growing up? Um, How was class talked about or not talked about in your home or in your community? Like, what did you notice in your community? Um, Like those could be some starting places for reflection. And then you can also bring it to current life, right? So how do you talk about class now? Um, What are some of those markers, right? What is different than how you grew up? Um, You know, what feelings come up for you when you talk about class. So there could be, I mean, those are like a lot of questions for a three minute video. Um, but those could be some prompting questions for people to share a little bit of who they are or what class means
1: to them. I love it. A couple others that came up. How did you know? Mm. And so, um, and that might be what you mean by markers, but I've heard so many people who grew up poor say, we didn't know we were poor until, Totally. And so when did you know? How did you know? I love all the feelings when you realized that society said you were. um, What were the messages you got about the classes you were in? Because you might have been in several over your times, the classes other folks were in. Any and all of those listeners could get folks fully in their bodies, ask them to journal beforehand and then come back and pretty early on maybe share those. Anything else that comes up as we are about to go to break?
2: Hmm. Well, I would say those videos allow vulnerability Mm. and role modeling that it is okay to be vulnerable and talk about class. Cause uh, again, we've been socialized to not do it and it's taboo. And so to see people outside, like in your organization and outside of your organization, talking about it allows you to breathe differently, to be like, okay, I can be vulnerable in my story around it and have it be upheld, have it be supported, how to be cared for,
1: um, and have it be okay. So yeah. Yes. Well, when we come back from break, we'll do more back here with transformation change radio, doctors, Kathy O'Bear and Becky Martinez. We'll see you on the other side. Yep.
2: Tune into Three Things I've Learned with Susan Dolce every first and third Tuesday of the month at noon Pacific, 3 o'clock Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. Join Susan and her guests as they share the stories that shift our souls about radical transformations, courageous breakthroughs, and life lessons. Three Things I've Learned with Susan Dolce. For more information, go to TransformationTalkRadio.com or visit Susan's website at SusanDolce.com. We are courageously expanding love on my new show, The Elizabeth Cunningham Show, every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Join me and my guests where we talk about relationships, sex, love, and the ways we wish we could be but never thought were possible. Visit ElizabethAnnCunningham.com and subscribe. Are you ready to manifest the highest version of your life? Then let Adrian Cobb guide you on your own personal soul quest. Every year, Adrian hosts two seven-day virtual solstice quests and a 21-day soul quest to create a quickening in your soul's evolution. During the quest, your heart unravels and you remember the depth of your love. The essence of who you are is always wanting to be fulfilled. To learn more, visit mywildmagic.com. That is mywildmagic.com. answers. Gain clarity on what is currently happening in your life. Reveal how your past is influencing your life experience. When you find the answers you are most hungry for in your life, you will gain inner peace and outer abundance. Contact Robin Clare to create an achievable plan for your ultimate success at clarity.com. That's C-L-A-R-E-I-T-Y.com.
1: Champion Your Life with me, Leanne Champion, first and third Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific time on TransformationTalkRadio.com. That new gym membership might help you get fit, but what about emotional fitness? Jump into the rushing waters of personal growth. Don't waste another minute feeling unfulfilled. Visit ChampionYourLife.com and let's do this together. So much fun with you dr becky martinez about how could we do workshops whether they're formal workshops or questions outside of the work environment with family we ended the first half thinking about could you develop some videos where people are telling their class stories and i had a quick thought at the end could you imagine if folks who are leaders doing this hr some of the facilitators also talk about their personal passion for creating a much more mm-hmm. inclusive equitable disrupting unproductive classist dynamics. And also say, and here are three areas I think we need to look at because in our organization, we're not there yet. Mm. And have some of the people with positional power, class privilege in these videos stay early. I'm concerned about our pay. I'm concerned about actually how our discipline system works. And I'm concerned about our hiring, that maybe we are classes in our hiring. And so those are three big areas I want us to look at moving forward, so. Yeah, and I w- um, it would be lovely,
2: too, to have leaders say, um, uh, this is what I struggle with. Uh, and we also want to look at, like, how people are treated based upon title or where your office is located, if you have one. Like, like, let's really kind of dig into the tr- treatment piece of how class works out. Because um, we have pay, right? Like we have pay and positionality. We're not getting rid of that. Um, I don't see organizations getting rid of that. I've seen some organizations shift on, um, you know, what time off looks like, uh, what compensation looks like for organizations that are not higher ed that do sabbaticals, right? Like like those things I think can be really critical. So it could be a sabbatical regardless of what your position is. Um, How do we look at like pay equity pieces? So I think that that's all important. And how do we like treat people um, that they are just as
1: competent and skilled? Like let's let's talk about treatment of employees, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So So if you've seen these workshops, privilege marginalized, I'm going outside because most organizations have folks with class privilege way up here and the continuum and folks who have less class privilege and positionality are almost invisible in the organization. So as you're saying, some organizations have made it more fair and equitable and gotten so that we're shrinking down the hierarchy and the resources and the respect and treatment. So all that could be pre and have people come in and we welcome and outcomes and um, engaging agreements and all those good things we do. And then some warm-up activities, how you're feeling about being here, hopes, concerns. and, And then pretty early, I'm guessing, Becky, you have folks do the class journey that we talked about towards the end of the first half. And my memory when I went through a workshop is we journaled. And then we went into similar class affinity spaces to share this. And we were in there a while or with three other people who, in my case, would have been grew up middle class, white collar professional class. And then we told our stories. Um, what are some other ways that you have people doing that kind of class journey before we get to like definitions and stuff?
2: Yeah, Sometimes, uh, so give them the prompts with some of those things that we even talked about from the video. So you could even use the prompts from the video to have then folks answer if they already haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes get them into mixed class groups, sometimes mm-hmm. not. So the the sticky part, right? And I think it's changed a little bit, at least once I, from when I started doing like being a participant in some class-related activities is the space of straddling class has become uh, an identity. Um, And so, huh, do you wanna talk about, I think like it's delicious and delightful, like let's talk about class of origin and then now let's talk about current class and so where people shift and what that means um, there is a, an activity that is, a for me, it's a heavy hitter and it's so good and it's so difficult, is like line up and like of how you group around class. And so then you gotta, it's awkward and uncomfortable and people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to do this. And it gets down to like these, as you said, some folks don't know until their referent group changes. Right. And that's what I love about Lou's work. So around social class worldview talks about like, you don't know until there's a different framework. And so uh, for some folks that happens at their first job or that happens in college, um, or it happens, you know, when they change neighborhoods or go or get bused to a different school. And so, you have one particular lens and this is how I think all of it is, right? And then you go to somewhere else and you're like, oh my goodness, whether it is there are people who are struggling financially or that, you know, are experience homelessness or hunger or, huh, there's like people who have yards and get to play in different ways. And so, um, you know, so that, activity like allows for some really deep deep conversation that brings up a lot of stuff. And then you could do the same activity, right? So what about your current class of origin and how you would line up? And that shit can rock your world because you may have been on one side of the activity or the line and then that shifts completely. And and then you just got to talk about, so how does this impact you and how does this show up? And what is the meaning that you make? Um, That's one that I really like to do. Sometimes you can do, you know, like just get into a pair Mm. so you can get into some more depth and it's not as vulnerable for a lot of people. Sometimes one-on-one feels even more vulnerable for folks. Um, You know, there's checklists that you can do um, and then pair up with somebody. Um, So there's different ways that you can engage in that. Um, but those would be some of the strategies that I, that I use. And people, as you said, will stay in those stories for a long time. Cause most people it's, first time. it's the first time they could be 57 years old. And it is the first time that they've talked about that. And I've had people that are in deep emotion, just crying or still because
1: I've never, ever talked about this. So, folks listening, if you don't facilitate these ideas, you can share with folks who are experienced facilitators who then need to do classes and workshops as participants, and also be able to create a container for holding emotion and being with people who might hit some hot buttons, a trigger, and be expressing emotions or be in an emotion and not expressing them, because most folks. And if what we're going to, you're like, whoa, my organization, then you know, you could do a class lifeline, which is similar, but again, pre-work just have people from zero till now. What, what were your class and literally draw a class journey, which is kind of like a class story, but they're drawing it and then they could Mm -hmm. bring it. And that might feel easier to share more detail than how I was treated. So all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. We're hoping that as you listen, you're getting new ideas. Um, and uh,
2: Kathy I want to add on that like if you were to draw it or do kind of like a timeline you could give some prompts because most people will even struggle with how what does that mean and so you could be like Mm -hmm. education community housing language Mm -hmm. right geography um vacations you know so you can get into some real specifics so that it becomes so tangible for them um Cause many times class can be really like nebulous and messy and I don't know. And so I think providing some specifics helps them
1: uh, realize, yeah. Clothes, food, size of family, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Employment, I think you might've mentioned. So you can probably tell one or two days would not be enough And what we've already outlined might already be three or four hours or you can break it up into a couple where they're doing some getting to know each other, coming in, create the container, begin to share class stories. The next time, maybe more class stories with homework in between. Anything's possible. At some point, doing concepts and definitions. I know Becky has really talked about it earlier. What are some ways that people could help others learned those in a workshop or a uh, sitting at lunch place. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: you know, I imagine uh, sitting at lunch space. Right? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And so uh, maybe there's some prompts or pre-work or something around various forms of capital. Right. So one, what are the definitions of class? and the strata, and that's where it becomes complicated because whose definition are we using? Mm -hmm. Are we using it from the government? So becoming more clear in your organization around like what definitions are you working from? And I would advise that you work from definitions that are beyond the, the economic government one, or you're gonna be stuck in an SES or economic financial capital space and broaden that. Please like use a brush stroke on class. Don't let it just be one particular color um, or one particular stroke. And then you have these different forms of capital, right? Social capital, cultural capital, academic capital, language capital, um, financial, economic capital. Um, Somebody, uh, a couple, I don't know, brought up emotional capital. That's and I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even think about that. Um, so like that, I'm adding to my um, way to engage class. And um, and then, you know, you can give some examples of how those play out or give an example. I think ac- academic capital, we know degrees, where our degrees are from, what our degrees are in. Um, and that's, I mean, that is often weaponized in... Mm-hmm academic settings and in some organizations. And so depending upon the industry, really thinking about how do we weaponize academic capital? Um, And then you have like language, like I noticed that I have said probably four curse words in the last 45 Mm -hmm. minutes. And how does that even land on the, the listeners right now? Like, is she supposed to, like, is it okay if she says shit, right? Like if people, how do I, Integrate like how do I uh, pay attention to language and what I think of people when they say certain things? I mean, it's usually curse words um, or maybe slang or jargon. Um, and how does that show up organizationally and who's listened to or not listened to? Uh, um, and then you know, social capital is very much like who I'm having relationships with, right? What are my uh What are my like mentoring or informal relationships with folks networking? Cultural capital is the information that we know, like how do we know things um, and what is it that we know and what's valued in regards to knowledge. So, and, and then you could have them like, okay, so talk about this. Like, how does this play out in the organization or your unit or as a supervisor or as a leader? And sometimes it feels more safe um, to have that conversation mm-hmm. in levels. Um, mm-hmm. And and I, and, I, and, I, and I don't wanna say safe like, I don't want people to be uncomfortable, um, but like you may be able to get some like similar to race, like get into some affinity space in in, like positionality in your organization and then be able to do a cross class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Because if we expect the cross class to happen soon, that shit's almost impossible and it does not go well.
1: Yeah. And folks with less class privilege and classless experiences in their lives actually get the brunt of it. And I would think that would, the harm caused when you're talking, have you ever heard, I just come life experience, capital, common sense capital. Mm. Have you ever heard of those? Mm. I have not. I just made them up. They're (laughs) probably somewhere, but here's what I was thinking. All the ones you named, how I grew up and then my elite education, I had access to all those, not Mm -hmm. as much as some others, but I'm thinking of, most organizations 60 80% of the organization might be folks who grew up poor working class and might still be in jobs that are not paid much more than 40 50,000 is that fair mhm i wonder if adding those if y'all are listening cuz some folks are like i got street smarts i got growing up in this neighborhood smarts And if they're in affinity space to say, I may not have academic or social capital with the leaders, but I know the people we serve because I'm in the community with them and it's not valued in organizations, but I have all kinds of capital. This organization could value better and I could help this organization be more successful if we did the kind of life experience. So that's why I got
2: there. Well, and um, that actually, Kathy, fits very nicely and appropriately into cultural capital. I love it. Right. And, um, but often we think about cultural capital as like intellectual knowledge, or like book knowledge. And that's not necessarily the case. So if we look at um, the community cultural wealth model, and I think cultural capital is a part of that, Like it does not, it, it is not referring to academics. And so even how do we reframe what cultural capital is in a class lens. Uh, Cause it's like, I don't care how many books that you read. Like, do you know how often you have to like water the citrus trees, right? <laughs> or like how you do irrigation systems, right? Or um, how you lay cement, like that is cultural capital. Like that's knowledge. And depending upon where it's valued and how it's valued. So like, let's think about that. Like, I don't know how to systematically like be as most efficient to clean a hotel room. Uh, um, and like, how do we value that as cultural capital? Um, so I, I would say that like, let's
1: reframe and put some more depth into these spaces of capital. And so what you just described, concepts, definitions, affinity space, come back, share. How is this play out in organization? Could be a whole nother chunk of two, four hours. Just breathe, y'all. If you're listening, this is not a one and done. That's Mm -mm. what capitalism says. I'll bet most people want to get to, but what do we do if, And but all that we've done so far helps people be more successful to recognize classes, microaggressions at the interpersonal level, in the culture and the climate, when someone says, you know, they actually, their genes were a little tight that we can't hire them. I mean, so those kind of comments and hiring. And so what are some ways that we can raise people's awareness of the thousands of types of microaggressions that happen that Mm -hmm. are negatively impacting people, particularly with less class privilege um, and less kind of status in an organization or in society? (sighs)
2: Ooh, I I mean, there's so many microaggressions that that are connected to just the word and definition of professional and professionalism. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so um, like, like let's really interrogate just that word and the expectations of people to show up professional. Um, How do we define professional? Um, Even this morning when I woke up, I was like, Oh, it's hot. Cause it's 103 here. I'm going to wear something that doesn't have sleeves and my tattoos will show. And what are people holding around that? Um, but you know, I'm on the show and I'm introduced as Dr. Martinez and people have my credentials. And so that balances out these tattoos and these tattoos are fairly safe. Um, cause they're pretty and they're butterflies and they're flowers Um, and so that's going to be received different than if it was like old English letters, um, or something like really harsh or that people connect to prison or gangs or. Right. And so like, how do we talk about like, so I think microaggressions all the time around tattoos, around what folks wear, what's appropriate, um, how people talk, um, how we talk with them about how they talk, mm-hmm. like <laughs> um, yeah. So co- professional. So much microaggressive behavior happens just with that
1: particular word. Mm. My one of my shortcomings is I like to do everything at once, and so when I'm <laughs> when I hear you, that could be how you start, right? Right. What does professional mean, and how is it used here? That could keep some people out and some people in. Another couple ideas is people could Google classist examples, and just start your own list and you could create your own. There are organizations that actually have handouts like class action and others that so you don't have to recreate the wheel. So you might find them. But I was wondering if your organization is large enough, could you do a, a anonymous survey? Say, what are the kinds of comments, actions? How are people treated based on level and title and position? Um, What's the unwritten rules of the organization? What's the climate and culture like for people that might have a relation to your status, your position, your class background, and just see what you collect up and maybe have some folks that can be trusted to say, I'm going to collect them up and just turn them into generic situations mm, I
2: would love that it.
1: could be, here are 10 situations that people said happen here. What would we do if? when these happen, what could we do? And so that could be two to three sessions. And to be honest, that would get people, what about this and this? So my, if you've ever done a racism workshop with me, I literally have three or four pages of common racist microaggressions that I have people read as pre-work. To be honest, I like long lists and I might be creating (laughs) one around class and classism, but for folks that are like way too much, something like that. And then what could you do if, and some practice to get the Speaking up, we just have five minutes left. Anything else on this before we go to systemic a bit?
2: Well, I think, so um, what I loved is you said, I'm a list for, like, I love lists. But, and I also think that that's some classes shit right there. Tell me right? about- so, So like, like, let's list all the things. Um, and, and maybe not, I, I, that feels very uh, academic. Right, um, which then can be connected to, and I love your long list, Kathy. So like hear me, cause I'm like, oh, I never thought about it, I never thought about that. Um, and I think that there's some, um, it can land on folks, uh, very work-like. Uh, I could think of some of my cousins who are laborers and they'd be like, I want this damn list. Right. Um, and so I, like, how, like, how do we think about that? Right. Like who is, how about this? Who is the list for? Love it. That's yes. Um, and so like, and, and that's, yeah. So that just came to me now, like, who is the list
1: for? Um, so these lists could be pre-work, but as you yeah. said that, I could imagine folks with more class privileged positionality will need lists. Mm, okay, we don't got know. it. Got it. Okay. Or, or we choose not to know. So that could be, mm. so it could be, we're going to do some affinity space. If you have some, you want to do storytelling about what you've experienced. And if you're more management than above, and you're like, I want to see what are, and then everybody has it in the handout. So, mm-hmm. But so to your point, we could do a privileged, marginalized affinity Mm -hmm. where storytelling and honesty, and then they can share out if they want, here's the kind of things that really happen here. Yeah. Um, I love that. We may yeah. want to do another one of these because we're yeah. almost out of time. I know, cause
2: so, like, uh, yeah. So uh, you know, I know we only have a few minutes. I, uh, I was doing. I think microaggressive behavior. One of the things that happened in the pandemic, and I was guilty of it, is I would talk about how my body hurt so much um, from mm-hmm. sitting, and then it's like people have been doing. Like my mom's been sitting for forty years in a job in a chair at a front desk, um, but it became this like. Yeah, like this. Oh, my body! I've been sitting for so long. I need a new chair. And there have been people who've been sitting that are sitting in your organizations that have been sitting for twenty to thirty years, and we had not thought about the impact on body until middle class plus folks were doing the same thing and were in pain.
1: Like, oh. As we close, this whole concept of intent and impact when we're doing microaggressions, your story example is wonderful, Becky, of, because you may have just said it, and then people on, so to spend time as we're doing workshops to have people know, regardless of our intent, when we say things, they have an impact across class dynamics And so to then be able, so what happens in the moment if we've said something that has a negative impact, how do we have that conversation? That might be where we start our next one, where we do part two of this. Mm -hmm. As we close out, you would really wanted to share, what have we been learning as we together, the impact of doing this? We have a couple minutes. I don't know if you want to go there or go somewhere else. Mm
2: Hmm. I'm um, So the learning has been so deep. Mm. Like, there are assumptions that I had. There are pieces that I didn't think about. Ease, like the ease of class privilege. Um, I'd never heard that is, yeah, uh, to hear your story, like pieces of your story. Um, I think the learning for me, the learning together with you has been really important. Um, and for us to have really authentic dialogue, to build our capacity to talk about class individually and systemically. That's been delightful
1: for me. I join on all. And as I come from much more class privilege then, and I think now I feel less guilt and shame, just naming the truth. And I think that's what we need to do in our organizations as you've taught me is just to be able to talk about class without the guilt, shame, especially class privilege to not hold on to it and be like, are there ways that we can really make this more equitable and fair? And when we do part two, we'll do so much more. Yeah, Whew. yeah so good. We have to close so, out. Yes.
2: So thank you for holding with us. Stay mm. in it. Ask some questions to yourself. Um, think about how class shows up and how you lead and supervise in your expectations. Um, and this has been delightful. We, um, we, we hold you till the next one
0: go well you've been listening to dr kathy obear on transformation talk radio thanks for tuning in and be sure to catch us next time as kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change motivate innovate and speak truth to power step into the courageous you that will change the world connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach for more information on kathy and her work please visit dr That's DrCathyOBear.com.
1: Views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station, its management, or advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio.